If you're in agreement today, somebody said, Amen. Amen. What does it really mean to live free in the Christian life? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. But what does it really mean to live free in the Christian life? Can I really be free of sin, and can I really be free of external religious standards? We're just going to jump in this morning. Let me give you the background briefly to the book of Galatia. Galatians, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen online to part one. But we're going to talk about unfriending the flesh. How do we live free of sin? And in this book, the Apostle Paul had founded a church in the region of Galatia. All right, it's a Romanized colony. It's a mix of Jews and Gentiles. And as he left this place and he went to another, he heard back that some Judaizers, some Jewish Christians, some, in fact, some false Christians were coming back trying to enslave Paul's church with the doctrines of legalism. They were specifically saying you must be circumcised because that's what you really need to be holy. Yes, we believe Christ died for your sins and He sets you free from all those things, but if you really want to be holy... There are these outer external standards you really need to adhere to. You need to look this way, you need to not do these things, and you need to do these things because we know Christ is enough, but it's Christ plus these stuff. This is what a Christian looks like. This is what a Christian should be like because this is what he told us and told Moses. And so that doesn't go away. Christ fulfills it, but yes, you still need these things. And the reason is they told them, they said, hey, Because the Apostle Paul, if you really just believe that, hey, Christ is enough, you're living under grace, if you do whatever you want to do, you're going to go to hell because you can't do that. And if Paul is teaching all these liberal things, y'all need to be careful and put some rules and some regulations in your life. And so they criticized Paul, saying he was promoting immoral living. And so they began to teach this legalism. But what Paul is doing in this book is he's establishing this fundamental truth that Christians no longer need to be controlled by external religious standards because they are no longer controlled by sin. They're controlled by the Spirit of God. You see, the difference is, yes, if you went all off course and you said, well, if you're not controlled by the religiousness and the legalism and the religious standards, you're going to go wild into sin. And Paul was saying, yes, but that's not the message I'm preaching. I'm preaching that we're no longer controlled by standards because we're no longer controlled by sin. And that's the key to walk holy and victorious in the Christian life. Let's look at this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Okay, so it was freedom... Paul says that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. He's talking about the religious standards here. But behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, when he says circumcision, he means the whole Mosaic law, the Old Testament. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. There it is. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. In fact, you have fallen from grace. He says, if you are trying to live your Christian life by being controlled by outer holy standards, what to eat, what to wear, what the don'ts are, what the do's are, and that's how you think Christ is justifying you, you've in fact fallen from grace. So we are not a slave to standards. Let's go on. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, 
Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you abide and devour one another, take care, you're not consumed by one another. But I say this, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you don't do the things you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What's he saying there? Number one, you are not a slave to standards, to legalism. He says, if you follow these external rules to ensure your salvation, you've fallen from grace. You're not even with Christ anymore. But he says, we're not using these outer codes to ensure the Spirit is living within us. In fact, these outer codes, they just burden us. But he says, in the same way, I'm no longer a slave to the standards. I'm no longer a slave to sin. And so he goes on, he says, but we're not allowing freedom of the law to be an opportunity for sin to take reign in our life. Hey, I'm taking off the don'ts. I'm taking off the do's. I don't have to care what I wear. I don't have to care what I do. And he's saying, well, if you're getting to that kind of a freedom, you have to know, is sin master over you still? Are you truly free? If you want to be free of standards, you've got to be free of sin. Okay? And so that's what he's saying in this statement. We're going to look today at the issue of the flesh. My question to you today is, or our statement is that we're not trading one slavery for another. Paul's saying, I'm not trading giving up the standards for being a slave to the flesh. In fact, I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so in our life today, the question is, what are you a slave to? If you believe Christ has set you free, is there anything in my life, is there anything in your life that is controlling me? Is it my attitude, my behavior? Is there things in my thought life, in my past? Are there things that tempt me that are easily controlling me? Because Paul is saying that the Spirit has truly come to set you free. So is there something you're a slave to? And it can be standards or it can be sin. But God has called you to freedom. If you want to live free today, somebody say amen. Amen. Okay. If we have died with Christ, we will be free from sin will be free from the law, and we will truly live with Him. That's the take-home for today. If you die with Christ, you'll be free from sin, free from the law, and live with Him. In, you know, in America today, <clears throat> I believe there is a, a false gospels, and we, we talked last week about the false gospel of this holy standard. I think the second false gospel we could really get into that Paul is dealing with today is uh, the gospel of lasciviousness or this looseness. Uh, This gospel is this American way of thinking. I think specifically it's an American or a Western thing. And it basically is this, that it's the do-what-you-want gospel. It's the freedom of the flesh. It falls into all immorality and lustful desire. And it, it really goes like this. Let me give you an example. And it's maybe things that we don't say out loud, but I catch myself following these trains of thought because it starts off with what harm is a little sin? You know, I'm saved by grace, right? What harm is a little sin? I can always repent. It says, uh, I can be a Christian and drink. It's not in the Bible. That's true. But they say that as they pop the sixth top for the day. Or they say, well, I don't get angry all the time. And they say that as their family is dealing with years of verbal abuse from that person. Or they say, uh, it's just a little flirting. I'm not really acting on it. As their marriage gets colder and colder. 
Oh, it's not gossip. They really are that way. That's how they really, if you knew them, if you only knew them, you would know it's not gossip. I'm just speaking the truth. How many people, don't raise your hand. That's what we say, okay? I'm going to step on my toes 30 times today, okay? Just join me. Uh, It's going to be fun. I think it's from, we talk about things about losing our patience. We talk about our overeating. We can talk about our secret internet browsing, our occasional cursing. We can talk about the white lies that don't hurt anyone that we don't think are very bad. I can think about the American church today as I see more and more young people that we watch movies of vile language and nudity and sex and immorality. I think about all the movies we watch that are filled with hell's horrors and the demonic, and we think nothing of it any longer. And the catchphrase is this, and this is what I see often in social media, nobody's perfect, don't judge me, you're a sinner too, God loves me. Over and over and over again, I see these things as this gospel of lasciviousness, this gospel of looseness. And I asked myself this week, is this the Christianity that Christ died for? Is this the sin-conquering, demon-chasing, lame-walking, blind-seeing, nation-conquering, world-changing Christianity that He paid the price for you and me? Is this the Spirit-filled life He's called to? Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? May it never be. I think there's a challenge in the church today that we do not misinterpret the gospel of grace for that Christ is eh about sin. Or that we don't misinterpret the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace to think that Christ is tolerant of sin because living in grace does not mean settling in sin. Living in grace does not mean settling in sin. Christ is not tolerant of sin. He's called you to live in freedom. He's called you to live in freedom. Let me tell you about my not-so-good friend, the flesh, and let me tell you why. Why there should be a struggle for perfection in the Christian life. And I, and I know you think, well, Pastor Heath, we're not going to be perfect, but... Okay, that's true, probably. But there's still this strive for perfection. I think we all should be going towards to attain that which Paul said that Christ attained for me. I'm pressing towards the goal, forgetting all the failures and mistakes behind me. I'm running with endurance for something He's got for me. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing forward. There should be this striving in us to say, I'm not settling in sin. Yes, Christ has paid the price for me. I'm no longer a slave to legalism and standards. But I also want to say, Christian, I don't want to be a slave to sin either. It's great that we can say, I don't have to care about, oh, this is how a holy man should wear. When in school, I remember growing up in the South, that my hair couldn't touch my collar. That was the rule for a man shouldn't do that. You know, or maybe your beard had to be trimmed a certain way, or the things you could watch, and the places you could and could not go. We say, well, we're free from all of that. But yet we look at our life, and we're still settling for sin. We're living in grace, but settling in sin. Let me tell you about my friend or not so good friend, the flesh. This week I've been so upset with my flesh. I thought about writing about him, so I'm going to give a little devo from the pastor to you. Let me tell you about my not so good friend, the flesh. The flesh. He's corrupted by sin, he's deceitful, unruly, and wicked. My flesh, he cannot act right nor think right. He thinks only for the temporary. 
He has no thought for the consequences of his actions. He, he only seeks the selfish pleasure in the moment. He's driven, driven by sex, by greed, by pride, by pain-free living. He thinks nothing of God or death or judgment, the flesh. He lives only for that temporary high, that temporary fling. He lives for that impermanent pleasure. He always wants more, and his desire never stops. The stronger he gets, the weaker I become. He tries to control me. And if I follow his thoughts down that dark corridor of sin, he leads me some, to some of the most selfish, vile, sexually immoral, unholy, hate-filled thoughts ever imaginable. Following his desires lead only to divorce. They lead to depression. They lead to drugs. They lead to loneliness. They lead to suicide and the like. And for the flesh, for him, no matter what he has, the grass is always greener on the other side. The flesh... He'll leave the best-looking, caring, most supportive spouse for what the ifs and the known, unknowns are. Doesn't matter who he's with, he always wants someone else. The flesh desires likewise to be bigger and better than any of his neighbors, his co-workers, his friends. He wants what everybody else has. The life, he doesn't. And when he's done, he leaves you in a wallow of self-pity, regret, shame, and despair. That's my not-so-good friend, the flesh. And I know my friend, the flesh, well, because I know he's trying to kill me in my spirit, and I hate him. You know, Scripture says we're cursed by the fall. Born below God's standard, under the power of sin our flesh is. And Jeremiah said, the heart is more deceitfully wicked than anything else. Who can understand it? Who can figure it out? It's so corrupted. Psalm says that none do good, they deceive, they curse, they shed blood. We all are in our flesh, walk on paths of destruction and misery. Our flesh, the scripture says, it's our sinful nature. Your flesh and my flesh is that fallen state of corruption, that thing that is powering over us, the thing that is seeking to control us, to destroy us, to lead us to hell and death itself, times two. Our sin, one author says, it says, you can best define it this way, flesh is the evil of a man that is capable apart from the grace of God. It's all the evil a man is capable apart from the grace of God. No one is above adultery. No one is above doing bad things and stealing. Push all the right buttons in your life, and if you follow that temptation in those little loops of the flesh over and over and over again, you will fall to anything he wants you to. You can't protect yourself from the flesh because you can't control Him. He owns you. He owns all of us. And in our natural state, apart from the grace of God, and we wonder, how do you know? How do you know that there is this thing, the flesh, this carnal nature, this cursed thing before the fall? Paul says, and go on in chapter 5, verse 19, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, you're going to see some of these results, and they're going to be clear he says it's going to see sexual immorality in your life, impurity and lustful pleasures. These are things in our actions and in our mind. Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions and divisions, envy and drunkenness and wild parties, and all sorts of sins like these. And Paul says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Paul is quick to tell us, church, if you're getting free of standards, you cannot be a slave to sin. If we want to live free in Jesus Christ, we can no longer be a slave of standards and we can no longer be a slave of sin because living in grace does not mean settling in sin. It means striving for something Christ has bought for us, putting on His nature in us. And I wonder in my life, and I, we look back and we say, well, Pastor Heath, you know, how am I... How am I supposed to live in grace? How do I fix this stuff in my life? How can I fix it? Because then the first thing I think is, well, let me, let me put some don'ts in my life. Let me put some do's in my life. Let me separate myself from these people or these things. Let me turn off the computer, and that's good. Let me not go to the bars. Well, that's good, too. Let me not watch these types of movies. That's good, too. Let me change my friends. Those are great, too, but they still don't change you. You can wash a pig and clean it up, but it's still a pig. And you know what? If you leave that pig alone, it's going to go right back to that mud because it's still in its nature. Yes, I just call this all pigs, okay? <laughs> but it's something in us. There's this thing, unless I do something about it, unless there's something changed in me, I could put myself on a desert island, but I'd still be a fleshly man. It doesn't matter all the things and the rules and the standards I could put on it. Paul says in Romans 8, 7, external religious standards are incapable of controlling the flesh. The law was powerless to control your flesh. And so my question to you today, if you're falling into legalism, how do you think that evil man I just told you about is able to do anything good? How can I tell this flesh, flesh, do a better job. Try this harder. Flesh, try that better. Flesh, try this. He can't do it. That's why so many people run to legalistic doctrines and they only last for a temporary while because it's a temporary fix. It's a temporary bath. It's a temporary fix because those legalism cannot change the inner man. And so Paul says, I'm freed from standards, but church, we've got to be free from sin. And 2 Corinthians 1.12, he says, Our confidence must not be in these things, but it must be in the grace of God. You say, Pastor, how in the world is grace supposed to change me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because guess what? Well, I'm telling you about my not-so-good friend, the flesh. You know what the Bible says in John chapter 1? John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh. Mind blown. I was just thinking about this this whole week, thinking about my flesh and how evil and how much I hate this guy. And I read that verse, the Word became flesh. That's some shouting ground right there. That's a, oh my gosh, Jesus, you were willing to put on this guy. You were willing to put that on. You were willing to bear that thing, that evil, that vile nature. You were willing to identify with me. That's amazing grace. That's an love, a love that never ends, that never fails. I can't even put the words to action that God, my God, became flesh. And He dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He put on my flesh. Can you even imagine? Christ put on flesh. That's where the hope begins. That's the beginning of the good news. That's the beginning of your story changing. That's the beginning of your condition getting free. That's where freedom begins, that Christ put on your nature. He put on flesh. 
and he did something with it. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For the law could not do something. What the law could not do, as weak as it was through the flesh. The law and the flesh never got it figured out. But he says, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh now, but according to the Spirit. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. Amen. Jesus Christ crucified the flesh for you when you couldn't do it. When you could try all the holy things to do. When you could go to church and pay your tithes and do the don'ts and do the do's. And you say, God, I'm still powerless over my tendency to think right, to act right. I'm still powerless to do the right thing in my life. I'm still jacked up in the head. My emotions are still erect. I still get angry. I still lose my temper. I still find myself falling into lustful desires and greed and immorality and the like. And even though I try on the outwardly to wash myself and make me look like a holy man... God, I'm still a wreck. But then it said, Jesus Christ put on flesh and what the law couldn't do because it was powerless, He did for you. He did it. He took on your sinful flesh and condemned it so that you can now walk not in the flesh, but in the Spirit of God. What an amazing story. External standards couldn't control your flesh, so God sent Jesus to crucify it. And cancel the standards against you. First Peter two twenty four says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. What amazing grace. You see, Jesus comes and doesn't just show us about our holy God and how awesome he is and our loving Father. He shows us how we can be obedient sons and daughters. He shows us how to truly live. And when we couldn't take that first initiative to live holy. He did it for us. And so now I just identify with him and says he modeled how I should live and he modeled how to crucify that flesh. He showed me how to live free of standards and free of sin. And Jesus says this, that whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And he does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever comes up after me must take up his cross daily. Matthew sixteen twenty four. So now then, if I know that, hey, I'm hopeless in my flesh, I'm powerless in my flesh, I can't wash this pig good enough, and I'm still always going back into the mire of this world and my thought pattern and my thought life, and I still struggle with it, and I'm a believer, and I'm trying to live right, but I know, God, you put on flesh for me, so now I just, by faith, I begin to think and pray about Jesus Christ. I begin to look to Him and say, all right, God, you did this for me. I can't do it myself. Jesus, you crucified flesh for me. So he says, now follow me as I have crucified my flesh, so now follow me. So let's look at this. What does it really mean then to crucify the flesh? What does it really uh, mean to live a victorious life in the presence of God? So if we want to live with Christ, my challenge for you today is unfriend the flesh. Go on your little Facebook app, find the flesh wherever he is, and start unfriending it. Now, seriously, in our life I gotta stop. I gotta stop following along with him. I gotta stop identifying with him. I gotta make a point in my life to say I want to no longer walk as I used to. I want to no longer be lost in the ignorance and the lust of the flesh in my old life. But I want to be identified with Christ in His death. Repeatedly, Scripture tells us this great promise in Romans six and seven that if we die with Christ, we will be free from sin. We will be free of standards, 
and we will live with him. If you die with Christ, you'll be free of sin, you'll be free of standards, and you'll truly, truly live with him. Five things I can really pull out for you today to take home with you about what does it really mean to crucify the flesh. Now, this is not legalism. These are things we do by the Spirit and by faith. But the first thing in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, sticking with Paul here, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Paul is making this great statement. Yes, church, I'm not bound by legalism and standards, but I'm also not bound by sin and lascivious living. Uh, lascivious living. I'm not falling into this lustful, carnal nature anymore because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live now uh, in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul was challenging us, church, today to be following and living after Jesus Christ. It's only something you can do by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and right now you're thinking, Pastor Heath, how do I figure out how to be a better person? How do I figure out how to stop doing these things? There is no one, two, three step. Let me be clear. I'm giving you five principles. There is no one, two, three step. There is no do this or do that. It is simply looking to Jesus in the Spirit by faith. And the first thing that we see in Scripture that he challenges us to do is repent in faith. You can repent in legalism, but repenting in faith is something quite different. When Paul says, I've died with Christ, I'm crucified with Christ, he is promoting this great, huge act of repentance. It's a gory description of what we must do when we come to that cross of Christ, that we literally are in anguish over our sin. I must hate sin. And while the world says you should love yourself and be a better self and build yourself up and get a better self-image, I'm saying that's going to go to hell because Jesus says, look to me, I'm the only one that's good. And I'm not about building up myself. I want to be about building up Jesus Christ because the world is saying, well, this is your image. This is the things you can do and five steps to a better marriage and five steps to a better you and a whole and healthier you in 2017. And here's your yoga class and here's your meditation. And here's all the things you can do to have a better romance and 62 steps to living this. Look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's the guy that you have to come to the cross and say, God, I am in utter dependence for you. I am in snot-nosed, weeping anguish over my sin. I hate this flesh. I hate sinning. And let me tell you, that's the problem for most today. They don't hate sin enough. The young man who was tired of living in his own life, eating the slop of pigs, the prodigal son, had to hate his life to return to his father. We must hate the filth of this world. It must be something inside of us that we're so tired of going down the same road where the drugs lead us and the alcohol leads us and the sex leads us and the immoral thinking and living and the greed of our heart. We're always circular. I live in guilt and I live in shame and I'm tired of it, church. I'm tired of living with shame and guilt of sin in the flesh. And so I say, God, I repent by, I repent by faith, meaning that Jesus is enough. That's what the faith part means. Repent is the weeping in anguish. Faith part is that Jesus is the answer. It's not a 12-step program that says you have to do all these things to do right. That's why we believe and celebrate recovery here because it's all about Jesus. He's what you need. Every step is about Him. Give it all to Him. Because He's the person. He's the one. And I believe He is enough for me. Somebody said Amen. So that number one, really repent in faith, it means trust Him. 
Trust Him. There's your principle number one. Trust Him. Number two, crucified with Christ means making a daily choice. Paul says, I die daily. You know what that really means? He repented daily, but it was really a reminder of where he was going in his life. It was a reminder that his life was no longer his own. That every day I get up and those temptations come my way, I have to say, guess what, sin? Guess what, flesh? Guess what, devil? I'm not Heath Harris anymore. I've been bought with a price. I don't get to choose those things. I give up my right to choose those things. Facebook things and things coming your way and internet things coming your way and say, hey, my life's not my own. I remember this morning that I'm bought with the price of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to make a mockery of the grace of God. I'm not going to spit on the cross of Christ. I'm reminding myself every day to die, to keep that thing, that spray some Roundup on that stuff if you got to, you know? That not just that 24 hours, I'm talking the extended year-long protection. Just get out there and just go to town with it and say, you got to die because I'm not who I once was. I'm making a declaration of my life by faith today. I am not what I once was. I'm pressing on. And so Paul reminded himself, I'm still moving forward. I'm forgetting what's behind me. I'm picking up my cross, putting it on my shoulders, and I'm walking out the door today. And maybe you need to make a post-it note in your mirror to remind yourself, put it down and take up Christ. Whatever you've got to do, make a daily choice. And that number two principle is this, seek Him. Number one is trust Him. Number two is seek Him. That every day I'm getting on my knees in prayer. Every day I'm falling on my knees and saying, God, I need you to get through today. God, I can't live by my own attitude today. God, I can't live by my own personality today. God, I can't live by my own desires today. I'm seeking you. Number one, trust him. Number two, seek him. Number three, give up your desires for God. Galatians 5.24 says it means daily killing those unrighteous passions and desires. We are made into something new in Christ. And so my question to myself is, I'm giving up my unrighteous passions and desires for God's righteous desires. That means I need to get up every day when I'm praying and remind myself, Heath Harris wants to make more money. Heath Harris wants to do more things. Heath Harris wants to have more. Heath Harris wants to do this. But wait, wait, wait. What does God want today? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me today? God, what is your will for your kingdom to grow and expand in Gina, Louisiana? God, what is your will for this, uh, this project we want to do in the Dominican Republic or this project for the needy kids in our school system? God, what is your will for my family and friends today? God, what am I supposed to be praying today, God? What am I supposed to be giving to today, God? What is your heart towards today, God? It means replacing my desires for his desires. Church, he said, seek first the kingdom. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus is modeling. You've got to... Rep- you're so, we're so stuck sometimes in all of these things of this life. And I wonder if it's because it's one thing to get rid of it all, but then you're stuck in like neutral territory, and then you're getting bored. But we're not replacing it with His desires. Does that make sense today? We, we can get rid of it all. That's great. But what have you replaced it with? What are you passionate about in the kingdom of God? What are you passionate about that's going on in the church today? What are you passionate about giving to and serving and being excited about and saying, God, wow, people got baptized in the Holy Spirit last week at Sanctuary. How awesome. Kids are getting saved over in Kids Church. How awesome. How can I be a part? God, what are you moving? Or there's missions programs around the world. Muslims are coming to you at a record rate in visions and dreams. God, that's exciting. That means you're coming back. Are we that kind of a Christian? We're like, well, I just don't do those things anymore. We come to church. Yep, that's me. You know, that's, that's the difference. 
We struggle because we haven't replaced our desires for God's. So number one is trust Him. Number two, seek Him. That means number three was know Him. Do you really know God's heartbeat for your family? Do you really know God's heartbeat for this church? Do you know God's heartbeat for this community? Do you know God's heartbeat for the world? Have you replaced your heart for His heart? And number four is this, give up your body for God's. Paul said in Romans 12, that he was no longer obeying the flesh's lusts and allowing his body to be used for unrighteousness, but now as an instrument of God. You know what that means? To keep his life out of trouble, Paul kept his body busy serving God. One of the biggest things that have pushed me into holiness and right living in my life is being in ministry. Because you know why? I know that I'm always going to have to be on the clock. That if in the matter of a moment... One of the things that strives to keep myself in check is that somebody could call it a moment for prayer. Or I could walk into some store or walk into some place and somebody might say, hey, that's Pastor Heath. Or that. We should all be that way in our Christianity. There is no turning it off. There is no Sunday morning Christians. There is at any moment, what if a demon showed up in the walkway of the supermarket and you were the one called to cast it out? Would you feel holy enough? Would you feel powerful enough? Would you feel that you've been walking with Jesus that day? Because... You're 24 hours on the clock, Christian. And he says that Paul says, I'm begging my body. I'm pushing my body aside and saying, I'm going to be invested in the ministry of God. I wonder if we're so busy putting on the world's things and doing the world's things with our bodies that we don't have time for the things of God. We find ourselves like David. We, we've taken a break from fighting in the world. Well, I'm not going to the bars anymore. I'm not going to this. But then we sit home. And what's at home? TV, Internet. Gossip, all these other things we could be getting a part of, buying things, building things. What if we took our bodies and said, God, how can I serve you with my hands and feet? God, who can I give to? Who can I serve? How can I be busy with my life instead of being busy with the world's things? God, being busy with your things, because your things are eternal. His things are going to be what matters. His things, at the end of your life, at the funeral, when I preach your funeral, I'm not going to be preaching about the boats you bought. I'm not going to be preaching about the house you had. I'm going to be preaching about what you did for Jesus. Me preaching about the people you love, the people you gave to, the people you served, and what you did in the name of Jesus Christ and what your reward is going to be in heaven. Paul said even so much that he was willing to suffer bodily hardships to identify with Christ. You know what? For me, that means fasting, suffering even, being willing to endure hardships. To be willing to say, family, we're not going to have that vacation or that thing, or we're not going to do all the things that the people of this world do. That's okay, because we decided to give to the body of Jesus Christ. We decided to give the missions this year. We decided to do these things. We're going to be willing to suffer little things in this life if it means the building up of the body of Jesus Christ. How many people are that radical? How many Christians are that radical today? If you want to live free over sin, Paul says, trust Him, seek Him, know Him. Be busy serving Him, even if it means fasting and giving things up. Lastly is this, put on Christ. How do you be crucified with Christ? You do all those things principally by faith. Holy Spirit, help me to know Him, to serve Him, to trust Him, to give to Him. God, to be about Your heart, not my heart. And it says, then put on Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Let's say that together. Make no provision for the flesh. In regards to its lust. That means make no time in your schedule for the flesh because you're so busy with Jesus. You're so with Him. You so know Him. You're so spending time with Him that you don't have time to be dealing with the flesh's junk. 
Say, flesh, I ain't got time for that gossip because I'm so busy praying with Jesus. I'm so building blessing people, I ain't got time to curse people. Does that make sense today? Um, flesh, I ain't got no time to be falling into those bad relationships and those bad, those bad dramas and all the, the temptations of adultery because, flesh, I'm so busy with Jesus. I'm so focused on Jesus. I'm so with Him. His all I need. And so Paul says, don't make any provision for the flesh. Put on Jesus Christ because you've taken off the flesh You've got to put something on. You've got to put something on. You've taken off legalism and standards. You've taken off sin and all that immoral living, and now you've got to put him on. Put on Jesus Christ. Because Paul says, it's not I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. How do you put on Jesus? Ephesians 4, 22, and I'm wrapping up with this. Paul says, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust of deceit. That's that old gospel, that old false gospel living, that you can live like you used to and still be a Christian. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, not the flesh of your mind, the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, being created in righteousness and holiness of truth. This new self is a spiritual self in Christ. you got your old friend, the flesh, who's not such a good friend, who leads you down to shame and misery and regret and despair. But you've also got a new person, a new self, born by the Holy Spirit, who is now alive in Christ with you, that God has reunited you. And just like He, uh, it's a mystery of new birth, it's a born-again experience, but it's a mystery, a recreation of something that was wrong in you. There is a part of you that is by the Holy Spirit recreated, just like Jesus was born of the flesh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and He put on flesh. He lived a sinless life because He was born by the Holy Spirit. And God says, just like that, just like my son was born again, born into the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, so you too can walk in a victorious life. It is now possible for you to walk in a victorious, sin-filled life, a sin-free life, spirit-filled life, because Jesus Christ did it for you first. The Word became flesh, is born by the Spirit. Today, church, you can have a new life in Jesus Christ. Today, you can put off the old sinful nature, allow the merging of the Spirit and your flesh to make a new creation. You don't have to think the things you used to think. You don't have to deal with the shame and the regret they used to deal with. You don't have to live an overcoming uh, temptation and all this junk of the world. Today, I can say, Holy Spirit, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. By faith, I'm trusting Him. I'm seeking Him. I'm knowing Him. I'm putting Him on by faith today. Flesh, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Devil, I rebuke all that temptation. Holy Spirit, come right inside of me right now. I need your strength. And church, and when you fail, you don't got to live in the shame and the regret. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I'm walking with you. I'm picking up my cross. I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping. You don't have time, church, to live in all the shame and regret. When you fall, you get on your knees and you say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I'm sorry for this. I, I grow to hate this. There's sin in your life you keep habitually sinning, keep struggling with. Hate it more and hate it more and hate it more. And begin to kill that thing and say, God, I can't do it. That's the key. People years and years into the church struggling with the same old addictions and the same old struggles, and we all hide it because we know how to wash that pig real good. We put on the good clothes, we put a hat on it, put some shoes on it. I don't know. But still is what it is, and only God knows. You can't change it. 
but you can put on Jesus Christ who's already changed it for you. You have to believe that, though, by faith. Worship team, would you come? Let's bow our heads. It's a spiritual thing, church. We cannot live in grace and settle in sin. I'm challenging myself and all of us today, if there's any place I've settled for sin. I know I'm in grace. I know I'm saved. I know God loves me. But is there sin in my life that I'm not struggling against? Are there things in my life that God is working out in me? And I want to say, God, yes, Lord, please keep working that out in me by faith through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be desperate for the Spirit of God to do something in me. That's what it's, it's a supernatural encounter with God, church. You must find the Spirit of God to do it in you. You must be desperate for the Spirit of God to do it in you. You cannot think better, act better, try better, do better. You need the Spirit of God to work mightily in your life. And it comes with a desperate repentance to say, God, I need you. God, I can't do it on my own. Admit my failures. Admit my mistakes. Admit my inadequacies. Admit my powerlessness. And say, God, I need you to do it because I can't do it. And I want to hate that sin. I want to hate that flesh and put my eyes on Jesus and press forward and walk. Pick up my cross and follow him. Let there be no mistake at Sanctuary Family Worship Center. We are not a slave to legalism. We are not a slave to standards, but we're also not a slave to sin. We want to be following and be a slave of righteousness in Jesus Christ. Put on that new man made in holiness and righteousness and truth. And the good news is, Christ put on your flesh. That's the good news. Christ did it for you. Christ has already done it. It's finished. It's done. Your victory, your freedom has been purchased. Father God, today... Holy Spirit, fill this place.